We're going to read and finish the passage from last week, verses 16 through 30. Speaking about receiving the favor of God, Luke chapter 4. It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips, And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, No prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, In truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian." And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led Jesus to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. You know, each of us has probably had that favorite Bible teacher or preacher that we just really enjoy. There are a relatively small number of preachers out there who really are able to preach with great power and persuasion. I guess their main job is just to keep the rest of us humble, right? But you know the type I'm talking about, uh, the few men who speak with just great power. No recordings are available of the prince of preachers known as uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon. That's kind of a shame because by his writings you can, you can sense the persuasion, the wisdom, the power of his words. And even the best preachers of our day probably don't compare to Spurgeon. Yet even Spurgeon was merely a man. No speaker that our ears have ever heard can compare to the preaching of Jesus. In John chapter 7, 
when the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize and arrest him, the officers returned, they're empty-handed. Angry, the Pharisees asked why. The answer was because none of them dared to lay their hands on him. And they answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Well, the residents of Nazareth, they had been waiting for a long time. They had been waiting with much anticipation for Jesus' return. Piecing the timeline of Jesus together using the uh, Gospel of John, many theologians suggest a considerable amount of time has passed. It's ellipsed between the temptations of Jesus that we studied, ending in verse 13 of Luke chapter 4, and then his return to Nazareth in, six, in verse 16, perhaps even as much as a year has lapsed between those two. Luke makes no mention of the initial calling of the disciples, nor the wedding party in Cana, the cleansing of the temple, the late night encounter with Nicodemus, never mentions the encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria. All these events occurred prior to Jesus' return home in Nazareth. And because of these types of reports that were going out of Jesus' preaching, how powerful it was also of Jesus' miracles, the, the town of Nazareth would have been in a stir. They were anxious to receive back Jesus. Or were they really? Did they really want Jesus? Or did, did they merely just want the favor that had been accompanying Jesus? Were they excited about, about a Savior coming home? Or, or were they, they, they just anxious about maybe we'll receive a blessing from all that we've heard? Well, let's look to see. You know, as we discovered last week in verse 14, uh, just as Jesus had in the surrounding synagogues, he came to teach now in his hometown synagogue, a hometown church in a way, in Nazareth. And in verse 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And Jesus opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You know, here Jesus was reading to that synagogue in Nazareth uh, that which would have been known by Israel as unmistakably messianic, unmistakably uh, attributed to the Christ. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 61, where this is recorded, he represents that passage as the Messiah speaking of himself. And after being announced by, by John the Baptist as the forerunner, as we've studied now for several weeks, the Messiah now, he's announcing himself. He's announcing himself to his hometown, to his own people. And the expectation was that, that this Messiah, uh, represented in, by Isaiah the prophet, he was going to bring with him blessings. Very, very hopeful for blessings. Unprecedented blessings would accompany 
the Messiah. That would verify his identity. This was the mindset of everyone in Israel, immediate blessing. Even John the Baptist knew this. So after John was then imprisoned by Herod, which also happened uh, prior to Jesus uh, returning to Nazareth, It's not surprising him being in prison now after proclaiming Christ as the forerunner that that he's got some questions. What's going on? This isn't exactly how we thought it was going to happen. So it isn't surprising he sent his own disciples, John's disciples, to Jesus to ask, what's going on here? And in Matthew 11, verse 3, the disciples asked Jesus, are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus effectually says, again, these are the signs, I am the one. I'm the one. And, and he adds, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Well, now, who in the world would take offense at a bunch of blessings? We'll see in a moment. The blessings have arrived, Jesus says, don't be offended by me. Don't take an offense at me, the Savior. And believing Israel... They'd been anticipating this arrival of the Messiah. The first three chapters of Luke's Gospel, as we've studied through that with great detail, point to Jesus as the Messiah. Anyone reading the Gospel of Luke knows the identity by now, right? As we progress through this. If you haven't been with us, you can just read those three chapters for yourself. The arrival of Christ, it's announced by angels, verified by the preaching of John as the forerunner. We have the baptism of Jesus by the Holy Spirit and then the voice declaring from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We had a declaration from the Father. And now the news of Jesus, his superior preaching, these accompanying miracles, it precedes him to Nazareth. Will they receive him? Will they receive him based on the testimony of his word? Well, in verse 20, Jesus sat down, it says, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. They were fixated on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We all know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? He said, today this has been fulfilled. No mincing words. They have been provided a scriptural declaration of Christ, by Christ, that he is the Messiah. That's his identity. We don't know what else might have been said by Jesus, if there might have been a brief accompanying homily, or some other words. If so, I'm sure it was riveting. To Luke, all else at this juncture, it's irrelevant. Luke doesn't include anything else. Jesus has said, I am Israel's Savior. 
Today's scripture, it's been fulfilled in your hearing. Will you receive me based on that word? Based on the word of God, will you receive me, Jesus says. Well, that question, it's soon going to be answered. uh, But we must be careful how we interpret the next verse. Contains just terminology in the Greek. It can be interpreted in in various ways in, in this particular passage. My English translation of the Bible represents their response to Jesus as being very positive. At least initially. Verse 22. And all were speaking well of him, or or bore him witness, some translations say. And and they're wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? The Greek vocabulary for speaking well of and, and gracious words, that can be interpreted as a positive affirmation. Those same words can also be interpreted in, in, in a negative affirmation. Very negative, as in a sense of a grumbling against. As a murmuring in the crowd. In situations like these, normally the translators, they'll use the context to determine uh, which way the passage should be represented in our English language. And, and I suggest, as most English translations do, that we take it in the positive. Those teams that work together, uh, the language experts that, that put together uh, literal translations, the good translations, they're usually very competent. It's also usually safer to just accept an interpretation than go out on our own. And I don't think there's a whole lot of us here that read the Greek real well, so we'll just go with what they have. But does... A positive embrace. Let's go with the positive. Does the positive embrace of really choice words? Is it always indicative of a person receiving Christ as Savior? Does it always mean they, they, they see him as Savior? No. Folks, there are scores of pagans out there. Unbelievers, those who resent Christian doctrine, scores of them who who revere Jesus for saying love your neighbor as yourself. They love gracious words. Here, uh, Nazareth loves to hear about blessings on Israel. They applaud Jesus for his gracious discourse, but that itself doesn't suggest accepting him as Lord. You know, folks, um, it doesn't ensure spiritual con- conversion. There, there are liberal churches that, that quote all kinds of passages from Jesus. All kinds of them. Select passages of Jesus. Well, as usual, to figure out exactly what's going on here, Scripture remains the best interpreter of Scripture. So the same event, the same event is recorded in the Gospel of Mark which is very helpful. It's in Mark chapter 6, sheds a whole lot of light on this occasion. Mark writes, Jesus came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And, And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands, is this, is this not the carpenter? 
the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? Listen to what it says next. And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except they laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. Did, Jesus, did Nazareth believe Jesus when he said that he was the Messiah? No. When he came to them as Savior, did they believe? No, they were impressed with his speaking ability, his choice of words. They probably got to witness at least a few of them, either before or at some point, got to witness a few, maybe token miracles. But folks, the witnessing of miracles... The scene of miracles, that doesn't equate spiritual conversion. It doesn't even initiate spiritual conversion. It is receiving the truth of God's word that bears witness to Jesus Christ that initiates conversion. Witnessing miracles does not initiate, does not facilitate, does not enable faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In Luke chapter 16 Jesus tells of a rich man. We don't know his name, but uh, he had gone and died and was suffering in Hades. You remember the story. He was looking across a chasm fixed, and he could see Father Abraham and Lazarus, Lazarus, the poor beggar, across a chasm fixed that he could not pass. And that man begged Abraham. He begged him, Send Lazarus! The poor man that they knew, send him back from the dead and warn my brothers. And he said, I beg you, Father, speaking to Father Abraham, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. What is that? Scripture. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Witnessing miracles does not provide faith. Holy Spirit regeneration of our hearts, uh, the, the uh, event of being born again into a new creation, it happens exclusively through receiving Jesus Christ according to the Word. But not all, not all who hear God's Word will receive it. A natural man or an unsaved man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. God the Holy Spirit must enable the hearer to receive the message of Christ, the gospel. Luke chapter 24, it's a good source. If you go to Luke 24, to see that that's uh, the road to um, Emmaus. 
And Jesus is walking there. It's a great place to find how God will both prevent and then open people's minds to recognize the truth of Christ. He'll do both. Contrary to what you'll hear in some circles, miracles don't enable faith. There are some churches that say, you know, if we could just conjure up some miracles, then people would believe. No. It's not what God's Word says. The Holy Spirit enables faith, and faith comes by hearing, and by hearing the Word of Christ. That's Romans ten seventeen. Well, Nazareth, they had heard the Word directly from Christ. Directly from Him. They, they even liked what they initially heard. They were fine with him reciting Isaiah's prophecy about the blessings. That's great. They'd love to receive blessings. They applied the good news of these blessings to themselves. Bring on those blessings. Like, that's good. Keep preaching, right? They didn't appreciate it when Jesus said, I am the Christ. They replied, no, you're not the Christ. You are the son of the carpenter. We know who you are. They took offense at him. They would not receive him based on his word. So they heard the word of God as it is written about Christ. They were offered by Christ himself as Savior to them. They said, no thanks. No thanks. We don't believe you are him. They rejected him. Does that sound familiar? Our scripture reading earlier, he came to his own. And those who were his own, they did not receive him. This return to Nazareth, Jesus' return to Nazareth, it's a little snapshot, a photo of what would occur across the entire nation. If you remember from our opening remarks uh, to this book uh, way back in March now, as we did an overview, Luke is a gospel written specially for the benefit of Gentiles, non-Jews. Luke had been a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Founded a lot of Gentile churches. Luke had witnessed firsthand the broad rejection of the gospel by the Jews. He had seen the reception of Christ among the Gentiles as the church church was founded. So the Holy Spirit prompted Luke to write this gospel. This good news about Christ that, that would offer a special understanding to an unbelieving Gentile. The Gentile mind. The Gentile reader rather than the Jewish reader. And, and this first event that we see here recorded by Luke. This is the first event that Luke gives to, to Jesus' public ministry. Even though there was a lot going on before this, Luke starts here. Why here? I think this... this event in his hometown, in Jesus' hometown, kind of acts like a one-minute movie trailer. You know, those are, you know, a, a synopsis of the events that are going to happen. You get a picture of what's going on through the movie trailer. He came to his own, that is Israel, to his hometown. His own did not receive him, but then what? But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, Right? to those who believe in his name. So after reading these initial chapters about the birth of Israel's Savior, chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, the Gentile reader probably would have thought to himself reading this and concluded, oh, I wasn't born a Jew. 
you know, I, I don't really hardly even know anything about cultural Judaism or what they do or anything. I'm a Roman. They probably say, I like bacon. You know, they, they, how could they connect with Christ and the gospel, not being a Jew themselves? But they probably got the impression from the first chapters that they're a sinner too. And then there's this holy God that is being proclaimed to Israel. I'm a Roman sinner. How can I be reconciled to God? Is there any hope for me, the Gentile reader sitting in Port St. Lucie today? Is there any hope? The answer is, folks, yeah, there's hope. There's lots of hope. The story continues. The movie trailer continues. It's a full-length movie trailer, actually. Verse 23, Nazareth has rejected Christ. And he says to, to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. See, they're, they're, they've heard of what was going on in that year before, or whatever the time period is. What we heard going on in Capernaum, do here too. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Like every group of unbelievers, they don't receive Christ based on the word of God. That passage and declaration from Isaiah 61. They don't receive Christ on the word of God. They want proof. They test him. They, they want to see miracles like were done in Capernaum. They want him to dance. Show us you're for real. We don't believe your proclamation. From John's Gospel, what miracle had already occurred in Capernaum? What had already happened? On John 4.46 is a royal official. And, and he, he chased down Jesus and he begged him, Heal my son. Please heal my son. And he said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go. Your son lives. The man believed the word which Jesus had spoken to him. See the difference? He believed the word. And he started off on his way. You know, unlike the Jews we've seen in Nazareth, that official believed he received the words of God of Jesus. And what happened? You know, his servants met him on the road. You remember how it all ends up. They met him on the road and told him about his son's recovery. And after inquiring with his servants, the father knew that it was at the very hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. Nazareth wanted those kind of blessings. That's what they wanted when Jesus got to town. That was looking pretty good to them without receiving Jesus Christ. So the Gospel of Mark tells us, hey, he could do no miracle there. You reject me as Messiah, you aren't believing... No. No. I'm not going to do the dance. Instead, the, trailer, the movie trailer continues. Jesus pronounces judgment on them. Just as Israel had been judged in centuries before, in verse 25, but I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, 
but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. You know, Sidon, it was, it was a Gentile land. That region was Gentile. So Jesus reminded them how as they experienced famine, drought, Israel experienced famine, Elijah went to the Gentiles. How do you think that made them feel? Hmm, I don't like that so much. He continues, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian, the Syrian general. Remember him? Jesus says, You don't want to receive me. There's not going to be any cleansing. No cleansing, for there were many lepers in Israel. The prophet was sent to cleanse a Gentile. Jesus illustrates for them twice. During Israel's history, uh, if you reject the messenger of God, if you do not receive the messenger, the promises benefited to you, the ones promised to you because of the covenant with Abraham, because of your unfaithfulness, the blessings went to the Gentiles. You, the son of a carpenter, you're telling us that the blessings that were promised to us as the offspring of Abraham, that you, a carpenter's son, are going to take them and offer them to Gentiles. What do you suppose their response is? Verse 28, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and they drove Jesus out of the city and they led him to the brow of a hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. What is a Gentile, you know, watching this movie trailer, reading this gospel for the first time going to think? You think, you mean the Jewish Messiah who was sent for Israel, who was for their blessing, that there's something in this for me? A Messiah who was willing to risk his own life, be rejected by his own people, and now you're offering yourself to me, to us. There's hope for the Gentiles. Verse 30, Jesus passing through their midst, he went his way. You know, for someone who had never heard the story of Jesus, you're reading through this gospel the first time, don't know the ending. Uh, would that leave you in suspense? That he almost gets killed and just passes through their midst and escapes? Would you want to know how that story ends? That'd keep you reading, wouldn't it? I wonder what else is going to go on in this story. And we know the ending, folks. There was a wholesale rejection of Christ by Israel. Because of it, the entire rest of the world is receiving the favor of God. You no longer have to be born Jewish. You don't have to be a descendant of Abraham. You don't have to become Jewish as a, as a proselyte Jew. You don't have to move to Israel. 
to receive God as your king, you simply have to believe what Scripture says about him. The the Samaritans did so. They came to Jesus at the prompting of the woman at the well. They heard Jesus, and and as written in John 4.41, many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. The whole world. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to as many as did receive him. He gave them the right to become the children of God. Hmm. Israel didn't receive him. And demonstrating his love, his good favor, God's good favor, he now offers Jesus to us. Don't harden your heart today, folks. Father Abraham was born about 2000 B.C., trusted in the promise of God to build a great nation uh, from his offspring, left for Haran, a journey toward the promised land, about 1925 B.C., somewhere in there. And for about 2,000 years, God worked almost exclusively through the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, with a few exceptions. And in about 30 A.D., God's holy and sinless Son, Jesus Christ, He was crucified on a cross for the sins of all who would believe in him. He died, but the grave couldn't hold him. On the third day, Jesus rose again according to the scriptures, and he was seen by all the apostles, and on one occasion, more than 500 people at once. Many other witnesses. And, And after his ascension to the right hand of God, Christ now has been working through his church. Almost exclusively through Gentiles, with a few exceptions. And and God has been patient. He's been long-suffering now for about another 2,000 years in the church. He was long-suffering with Israel for about 2,000 years. Now since his son is, the time since his son was nailed to the cross, we've had about another 2,000. When will his promised return be? We don't know. But if you've not trusted in him, folks, you're on borrowed time. You're on borrowed time. God makes no promise to you, makes no promise to anyone here as we leave that there is another day tomorrow. Makes no promise that any of us will be able to come back here next week and receive Jesus Christ by his word. He is coming, and he will come like a thief. People talk about, are these the signs of the ends of the times? Eh, they've been going on a couple thousand years now. You look at Second Peter chapter 3, you read there what the sign will be of Jesus coming. Uh, the people there are mocking. It says mockers will come with their mocking. And they'll be making fun of Jesus and be asking, where is the promise of his coming? Everything has been continuing on just like it has from the beginning. See, Jesus isn't necessarily coming right at the point where it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. 
He's coming on a day when you're not expecting it. There's going to be people marrying and giving in marriage. It's going to be a common day like today. And he will come like a thief. There's little doubt when Jesus suddenly returns to take his church home. There will be Christians in our midst, on the streets, in places. There will be Christians sharing the gospel with people actively. And they will be taken up before the person responds that they're witnessing to. Don't let this opportunity pass, folks. As Peter declared in Acts chapter 2, God's Son suffered. He was crucified for your sins. And in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you do. It says, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. It's up to you folks. It says that those who received the word were baptized. They received Jesus Christ as Savior. Let's pray.